Hello, I'm Lucy Gray. Welcome to the programme. It's become increasingly clear that the ceasefire in Sudan is not holding. Air, tank and artillery strikes are continuing in parts of the Sudanese capital Khartoum, despite the latest 72-hour truce. There's also fighting in the western Darfur region. Hundreds have now been killed and tens of thousands have fled in a conflict that is destabilising the entire region. One of the generals who leads the Rapid Support Forces, the paramilitary force fighting Sudan's army, has told the BBC that he will not negotiate until the fighting ends. Mohamed Hamdam Dugalo, also known as Hameti, was speaking to Zainab Badawi. I want to put it to you that the people of Sudan, particularly in the capital Khartoum, are living in an absolute ordeal. What would it take for you to allow humanitarian corridors? First of all, I'd like to thank the BBC for the interview regarding the truce. We have been asking for it from the first day of the war. We started the humanitarian corridor straight away. We opened these corridors within the areas controlled by our forces. We started the truce from our side. We are working for the sake of the civilians and our fight is on the behalf of the civilians. We have no problems with these corridors and we are helping the diplomatic missions. The Sudanese people acknowledge the areas under our control. We are working hands and feet to help others. We have no problem with these corridors whatsoever. Let's hear now from our diplomatic correspondent, Paul Adams, who's following developments. There had been the suggestion from the South Sudanese government of an invitation to the, 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 leading, uh, the, the, the two men leading these rival factions to travel to Juba and meet face to face. Uh, that hasn't materialised. I mean, clearly there's been an enormous international, concerted international effort led by the Americans, the Saudi Arabians, uh, the, the Gulf and, and other regional players uh, to try and make sure that these ceasefires are put in place. But it's hard to, uh, to resist the, 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 the feeling that this is largely to allow the evacuation of foreign nationals. Whether that, uh, that diplomatic impetus and pressure will continue once foreign governments feel that they've got their citizens out, well, we'll have to wait and see. But if it doesn't, uh, then, then we're in for a very rough time indeed, because it does feel as though, uh, left to their own devices, the two men are not going to settle their differences. It is only going to be a result of international pressure uh, that, that the fighting can be contained, and that, that differences that separate them can be addressed. Paul Adams there. Well, a convoy of buses carrying 300 American civilians has left the Sudanese capital, bound for the coastal city of Port Sudan, which is 800 kilometres to the east. Meanwhile, Saudi Arabia is coordinating its evacuations out of Port Sudan from Jeddah. Our chief international correspondent, Lise Doucette, has been on one of the Saudi vessels. This is the bridge, the main control room in this Saudi warship. We're getting ready to leave, to leave Jeddah port for what's about to be a 12-hour crossing across the Red Sea. We're told it will take, could be about 12 hours before we reach Port Sudan, the main port in Sudan, which has become one of the main evacuation ports. Now, in recent days, we're told about 3,000 people have already reached the Saudi shore from some 77 nationalities. So this boat uh, that we're now on is heading to Sudan to bring even more people, hundreds more people, we understand, back to safety here. 
Saudi Arabia is one of many regional powers deeply concerned about the fighting. They've long been engaged in Sudan with their own interest. But right now, for countries of the region and far beyond, the main interest is trying to stop this fighting between the two rival military powers, but also to protect the civilians. And this is what this warship is about to do today. We used to sit there in a Jeddah. Well, time is running out for British people to catch flights out of Sudan. Our political correspondent, David Wallace Lockhart, told me more. The final flight out of Sudan for UK citizens will be leaving at 6pm UK time this evening. And the reason the UK government has made that decision is, they say, down to the numbers that are now actually coming forward to get these flights. A Whitehall source earlier this morning described the numbers to me as now being just a trickle who want to get uh, on these flights out of Sudan. Deputy Prime Minister Oliver Dowden will be chairing a COBRA meeting, that's the UK government's emergency committee, later on this afternoon to talk about the latest with those evacuations and to talk about uh, the current security situation. Now, with such small numbers apparently coming forward to get on these flights, the opposition Labour Party has said the criteria to get on them should be expanded and it should be open to anyone uh, resident in the UK and not just passport holders. Now, the government is stressing that they've had a longer window for uh, getting on to evacuation flights than any other Western nation. They're happy with how this, uh, this, this operation has gone. About 1,500 people, slightly over that, have been taken out of Sudan on these flights. 2,000 people registered interest in the Foreign Office's evacuation programme. But the UK government hoping that that 24-hour window of notice they announced yesterday that will end at 6pm tonight will be enough for anyone who does want to make that journey to get on uh, one of those flights. They are stressing, though, that there will also be consular support uh, at certain points in the border in Sudan and at Port Sudan going forward. There's been a bit of a U-turn from the government as well on the issue of NHS doctors, because originally they weren't allowing NHS doctors uh, to get on some of those flights if they didn't have British passports, but then they've changed their minds on that. That's right. That's something that I think uh, quite a lot of people in the UK found quite, uh, quite a difficult thing to, to believe, that uh, there were doctors who work in the NHS day to day who might have gone to Sudan uh, for, for, for some of a holiday or, or to see family who were not able to get on those flights because although they had work permits to work in the NHS, they weren't British passport holders. The UK government has changed tact on that. They did say that border officials would always have some discretion in areas like this, but those NHS doctors are now being allowed on those flights. And I suppose the, the bigger question now is if there are still flights to leave Sudan and come to the UK and the demand from UK passport holders to be on them isn't that great, then will the criteria be extended to others who aren't NHS doctors but perhaps are resident in the UK, have work permits, have jobs in the UK, will they uh, start getting on these flights in greater numbers? David Wallace Lockhart there for us in the newsroom.